0: Ever wondered who and what is shaping Luxembourg? This is your Lux Unplugged podcast with your hosts, Adrian and Thierry. Hi, I'm Thierry. And I'm Adrian. Welcome to the Lux Unplugged podcast and the first episode of this series. Thierry, why did we launch this podcast?
1: Good question, Adrian. Well, as two Luxembourgians living in London, we realized that there's very little information about our country, especially for those who want to start a new life
0: in Luxembourg. And also for those who already live in Luxembourg, we find it's very difficult to understand the behind the scenes of this small country of ours, how it's influencing the entire world. That's the reason why we've created this podcast, to offer first-hand information from people who have been shaping the country. Speaking of which, Cherry, who's our first guest? For our very first
1: episode, we are interviewing Dr. Kim Schumacher, Kim is an Honorary Research Associate at the University of Oxford, doing research on topics involving
0: climate change and sustainable finance. In addition, he is currently consulting the Luxembourg government on issues relating to sustainable finance and responsible investments. During the interview, our listeners will find out how influential he has been in anything that relates to Luxembourg's ambitions in the sustainable finance field.
1: Now, without further ado, our conversation with Dr.
0: Kim Schumacher. Kim, welcome to the Luxembourg podcast.
2: Nice, nice to be here. Thank you, thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Before we dive
0: into the actual subject, just tell us a bit more about your background. How did you come by sustainable finance and all the stuff that you're doing today?
2: So, um, first of all, you need to know a bit about... Uh, so, uh, I'm originally from Luxembourg, and uh, so after I graduated from high school... I went to France and I studied something like that that I really didn't like. Yeah, I didn't enjoy that much. Was law, so I think a lot of people like yeah sympathize. And after law, I actually made sort of like a fluid transition. So I first went to international law, and then I came by environmental law. And so for me, one of the main events that uh, drew me to sustainable finance was uh, back in 2011 when uh, the Fukushima nuclear power station accident happened in Japan. And uh, I, was really, I really became interested in uh, yeah, what it actually means to produce energy. How could a country such as Japan make the transition to, to clean energy and if, if they actually would do so. And so um, I first uh, studied in the United States environmental law and policy. And when the opportunity came up that I could go to Japan with a scholarship, uh, I jumped right into, uh, like, yeah, into the opportunity. Uh, especially because my doctoral advisor he used to work for the company that actually managed the the fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant and by doing so i had access to a lot of information a lot of data and uh, i've never been to japan so it was it was quite of an adventure in a lot of different um, from a lot of different points of view and uh, i switched actually from law to environmental science that's in and it's uh, that's very important and uh, so while I was in Japan, I investigated what are some of the barriers for large-scale renewable energy projects because uh, I see renewable energy as one of the keys to solving the climate crisis that is currently going on. And so I looked at uh, Japan primarily, but also I went uh, I looked at the United States, Europe, and um, the Asia Pacific region as a, um, at large. So how, how, how is the transition currently uh, occurring? And what can be done to to um uh lower barriers to new renewable energy development so that is that is how i came uh to to the renewable energy sector and then how did I make my transition into sustainable finance is i basically um looked at again as i said i looked at the barriers to renewable energy and i i found out financing actually mobilizing capital mobilizing uh, sufficient funds to to uh, finance a lot of these large scale projects was one of the key barriers. And um, then I just uh, applied to uh, several positions after my my uh, doctoral studies, and um, uh, I was able to uh, to get an offer from uh, the University of Oxford at that time, the Smith School of Enterprise and the Environment. And um, that sort of was uh, a very eye opening experience, and uh, because uh, I learned that. Uh, it's not only an issue of having the data and knowing that there's a climate crisis going on, it's also in order to engage the financial sector, en- engaging those who actually do hold the capital to to, to make the transition. And uh, that is how I personally also in my own life or in my own research, I made the transition towards more becoming more engaging uh, and also try to get industry stakeholders on board to invest more into uh, low-carbon, renewable, clean energy projects. This is
0: very impressive to see that you went from studying law in France and then transitioned to the U.S., where you sort of started discovering this passion of yours. My key question to you is, how was the transition from the U.S. to Japan? This is very uncommon to us in in Luxembourg, just applying for a Ph.D., in in
2: Japan, so how did you experience that? Well, to be quite honest, it was quite daunting because uh, again, I've I've never been to Asia before. I do not speak the language even a little bit. I I never I never even came in contact with the language before. When I was younger, I was into video games, like yeah, I love Nintendo and stuff like that. But I didn't have like yeah like a, a firm grasp on what what it actually means to live in Japan. But it was quite of an adventure, and California is a very laissez-faire. Uh, society where there's a lot of like personal freedoms a lot of a lot of like um people respect individualism whereas in japan it's it's quite the opposite there's a lot of uh, like yeah pressure to to fit into society harmony is a very strong uh guiding principle in in, in japan so uh for me it it was quite of tempting and uh, again, uh, I I love sushi, so that was one of the few things. That's right. That, huh? Yeah, that's one <laughs> was one of the few things that I that I actually came in contact with uh, Japanese culture. But uh, yeah, pretty much ended there. So yeah, and it, it was literally a jump into the unknown. And in in terms of explaining to to people what what it's like to live there, especially people who are not from Japan or who have never lived there, it is it is a lot of things are true in terms of that it's a very harmonized society very uniform people follow a lot of people like yeah stick to the rules they s- try to fit in there's not a lot of like outliers as a societal outliers individualism doesn't play as a predominant role as it does uh, for example here in the west and that is that is that is true but on the other hand it's also a culture that is in, that is also transitioning it has a very large population issue like in terms of ageism, a lot of old people. But uh, in recent years, it opened the door a bit more to to other cultures. For example, with the Tokyo Olympics next year being held in Tokyo. So that offers also opportunities. And and I fell sort of into that uh, like uh, intermediate time between being fairly closed off, but now becoming much more open.
1: And how old were you
2: when you went to Japan? So I, I was uh, at that time, uh, I was 26 at that time. And uh, yeah, so it, I, I was not the, the youngest anymore, but I was still exploring the world. And uh, it, it was fairly like, yeah, a really eye-opening experience that I, I wouldn't miss, have missed, and that, which also shaped some of, some of my current, uh, some of my current thoughts, some of my current ideas to a very large extent. And uh, what are the greatest challenges and
1: opportunity uh, that the world faces from uh, sustainability perspective
2: at the moment. Then, well, I would say first it is the survival of the human uh, of the human species, uh, which is uh, a fairly important issue. I would say, so uh, that is that is what we see how we talk about the issue. So first we had global warming, or we had uh, or climate change. But now, actually, recently, the Guardian, for example, uh, decided recently to shift its vocabulary or its terminology to only use the word "climate crisis," Mm -hmm. so to not even talk about climate change anymore.
0: The the Guardian is a uh, British newspaper. Exactly. Oh, sorry,
2: sorry about that. So, yeah, the Guardian, uh, one of one of the uh, the the largest uh, news outlets here here in, in the UK, is decided to change its terminology to sort of like, yeah underpin, underline the the, the gravity of the issue and the urgency of the issue that it's, and uh, uh, I think people do not understand, like, yeah, it's rather tied to the lifestyle that that we live and the the, the usage of resources, natural resources, more more precisely, be it energy, be it electricity, all those things that, that contribute to us, basically risking the continuation of the human race on this planet because there are some studies that say that currently mankind as a whole uses 1.5 or requires 1.5 planets to sustain its current lifestyles. And we only have one. Right? Exactly. So uh, as far as I know, yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe some people know more than I do, but uh, uh, as far as we know, we have one planet. And that is a, that is a severe risk. So there's, there's something that um, uh, the, the, the resource clock, so that basically means the, t- the moment in the year, where we basically used up one one year's like natural like yeah the, the, the replenishment rate of the planet so we basically went already beyond that and that is currently like yeah shifting earlier to the like yeah much earlier every year so sometimes already in august we used all of our resources that that can be replenished by the planet within one year so that goes to show that it's a very urgent topic and it actually touches upon the core of what it what it's mean to be human because without this planet, there is no human uh like yeah no human race, so yeah so that is that is sort of like yeah what climate change, what sustainability actually means, what the m- most uh, urgent issues are around that
0: you've mainly described the challenges that, yeah. that you see coming up, but any opportunities that we can derive from this' it's about all this is urging issues that yeah. we have to face but
2: what do you think what is your take? I think so. Like yeah, with all this, like uh, uh, even recently the news cycle, like yeah, uh, with all the doom and gloom that we are that we are experiencing. And you see the doom and gloom in every country. I think I see it in every country. Every country is we, we all we we all live on the same planet, so every country is affected in some form or shape. However, there's countries who will be disproportionately affected. Usually, countries in the developing world, they they will face. The, the consequences of of climate change or climate climate crisis in much mm. harsher ways than in uh, developed countries. But on the other hand, there's countries who are much more proactive in facing the challenges and also seeing how we can tra- try to at least try to uh, explore how we can transform this into an opportunity. And uh, some of some of the opportunities are societal. But on the other hand. I think a lot of opportunities and the missed opportunities are in the business sector where we need a much stronger engagement from businesses. From, from Because we always talk about government uh, governance that, that need to act, but I think a very large uh, portion of the economy is the business sector, the private businesses, the financial sector. And those for, for a long time, uh, were standing at the, at the sidelines of mm. this whole debate it was either private NGOs, uh, non-governmental organizations, non-profit organizations. Often talked about Greenpeace or so, who were at the forefront of this of this movement of these, and the, the business community was a bit uh, yeah in the background. However, in recent years, uh, a lot of actors have realized that the business community should be actively involved, and there's also very real opportunities because the survival of the human species is also sort of a need. It is it is one of the largest pains that we have. And if you can find sensible solutions to this issue, you can actually also do good, but at the same time also have a very solid profit margin and like very nice returns on investment. And that is, I think, something that has been for far too long appreciated enough, in my opinion.
1: Okay. Yeah, I mean, when you mention uh, NGOs and and businesses and so on, well, obviously, because you know we are all from Luxembourg, then uh, that will bring up to my second question: is actually how has Luxembourg's uh, policy making positioned itself as a key
2: player in your field? Uh, what is your take on that? So, in all in all honesty, so for for a long time, and because Luxembourg is a country. Largely devoid of natural resources, if we do accept, accept uh, iron ore, which was one of the uh, was one of one of the catalysts of the Luxembourg economic growth uh, in the early 20th century, mm-hmm. and which which a lot of our our wealth stems from uh, those activities, I mean Luxembourg is the host of one of the largest steel companies in the world, ArcelorMittal, mm-hmm. and which uh, is we, headquartered in Luxembourg. So. Apart from that, Luxembourg is pretty much devout of natural resources. So we we were importing, and the lifestyle and and uh, is one of the most energy intensive in the world. Luxembourg consumes huge amounts, or at least per capita, of of fossil fuels, uh, oil and uh, oil and gas primarily. So and that is like yeah the energy, let's say the the, the, the energy footprint. And the carbon footprint per capita of Luxembourg was usually not that favorable if we if you look in in comparison to others however the Luxembourg government in recent years uh, has realized that and is, that is also thanks to some actors in the in the Luxembourg political sphere now gaining a little more awareness of the issue and that is that is something where I feel that uh, now something is shifting, but on the other hand, it's also difficult for Luxembourg, which is very reliant on certain industries, notably the, the financial sector, to, to to transition that easily and to, to basically decarbonize those industries or those sectors, And uh, but in recent years, there is what I think a largely very sincere movement towards trying to become more sustainable However, also thinking, how can we manage the ramifications of transitioning there? Because you will, of course, have to, to give up something in, ter- in, in, in turn of becoming more sustainable. So there's always like sort of an, an, a drawback or an, uh, an offset to some extent.
1: When you say compared to, to other countries, what countries do you mean largely in Europe in 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 North America or Asia or
2: where can you go a bit more into uh, to detail? Yeah, uh, so I think largely uh, countries we we're always talking for example about Nordic countries, yeah. and uh, but one has to also acknowledge that that the situation, the circumstance, the context is a little bit different because, mm. for example, Nordic countries they 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 basically uh, are characterized characterize themselves through relatively low populations, but large land, uh land areas land, land mass, and, and yeah. yeah land mass and actually access to to quite vast natural resources uh primarily timber primarily like yeah biomass things like that so it, it would be unfair to to compare it immediately but there are countries who sort of acknowledged mm-hmm. issues around the environment more proactively in the past so and a lot, of, a lot of the input in Luxembourg came for a long time, came from the EU at the EU level mm. where environmental uh, regulations or environmental policies were adopted and in Luxembourg sort of had to transpose them because again, and also other countries were more proactive, for example, in finding tangible solutions in terms of, for example, transportation where Luxembourg is an extremely car-reliant society where, where public transportation does play a role but now for example with the Luxembourg plan the, uh, the plan to make all public transportation free yeah. those are some really proactive and some people say it is greenwashing or it is it is something like yeah it's just eye candy but uh, it is not it will not have that much impact but I think those messages are extremely important to show there is a will but now there also needs to be action they need to conduct the necessary investments in order to expand the public sector transportation sector to accommodate all those potential future uh, clients mm. who would like to rely on public transportation reliable public transportation and that is that is sort of where the challenge is right now so now it is was a good political move but now the the reality needs to follow suit green parties across europe yeah more specifically
0: How do you see the progression of that political party? Do you see that as a good thing for for climate change? What is your take on on this progression?
2: This movement, uh, it's a very interesting one because I think it shows the dichotomy between older generations and younger generations because younger generations do not feel represented anymore by the current parties. And they feel like, yeah, they have to live with the consequences of the current generation's actions. They have to, if... I'm someone who is now 15 years old, or I'm 20 years old. I hope you're older than that. <laughs> I hope I'm older. But if I, if I was someone, like, uh, for example, there's a lot of talk about Greta Thunberg, uh, Fridays for Future. But if I was a young person right now, and I would know that in, I still am there in 2060, then what kind of planet would I like to find, and what kind of planet would I like to live on and if the current parties represent mostly older generations, then of course I will flock to a party, I will gravitate towards a party that represents my own interests. And I think the Green Party right now is the one that is able to sort of represent those interests in, in the best manner for a, lot of, for a lot of young people in Europe. And with those fears, I think it's just a reaction to the inaction to the inactivity, a lot of the existing parties in that in that area, and that shows that it's just a logical consequence that if you feel unrepresented, then you then you go to the party which most aligns with your uh, vision and with your with your expectations. And it's quite good what you say,
1: and uh, especially because you know we are sitting in the UK at the moment. So if you vote and the parties don't do what. You like them to do then exactly. you go and vote for someone someone else exactly um, but at the at the same time obviously where adrian just said with the with the green parties the green parties is not a new party yeah, they've the been around for, for for decades but it seems with the hope of um, uh, social media and, yeah. and other medias uh, like podcasting then uh, you hear that green party is getting stronger yeah. um, and more and more people listen to them because nowadays climate change is a big a big topic
2: i, I fully agree i couldn't agree even more so that's the green party will become stronger if the the, the main like the mainstream parties right now mm. do not act and it, it becomes it becomes very aware so for example just to give, you, to give you an example, how important sustainability issues have become and how little or how much they were underestimated by the mainstream parties is, for example, a petition that happened in the, the German uh, state of Bavaria where there was a petition that was to save the bees. Mm-hmm. And some people would just say that it's just, it's just tree huggers do that. But in the end, they underestimated to an extreme degree how relevant this topic and how close to people's uh, minds this topic actually was close to people's hearts because they saw, they didn't only want to save the bees but it was rather an indicator. The bees were an indicator for a healthy ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And with the disappearance of the bees, people finally felt that something is changing but not for the good. And so they felt we cannot rely on the, on the main party anymore in Bavaria. We need to go via the route of the petition. And people voted in masses. And you need to know, it was not an online petition. They actually had to move. They actually had to go physically into a city hall, the closest city hall that they were, and they had to physically sign the petition. And I think in the end, it was over 1.5 million people, if I I do recall correctly. I think it was over, over 1 million at least that signed it. Yeah. And, and, and that was just the, the, because the, the organizers of the petition, but the politicians, the established politicians in Bavaria alike, they were, they were baffled by these numbers because they thought it was just this, uh, a, a thing that would die down slowly. They ignored the magnitude of the issue that people now, that, cl- that, uh, climate, uh, that the climate crisis, climate change, as environmental issues, sustainability, comes more and more, moves more and more to the forefront of people's lives because they see for example long spells of dry of dry weather rain that is that is uh, that is uh, absent nature that is dying plastic pollution mm-hmm. rivers mm-hmm. that are polluted things we all hear about that and it's not only in the news anymore it's when we walk through the park we see it or only if in the summer we open the door we can we can feel the impacts of climate change and we see for example environmental impacts and that is where people start to think, like, it's not only a remote thing that happens at the other end of the world. It is something that happens in my backyard. And that is why now I think it's the right time to, to also talk about a broad engagement in all levels of society for sustainability. Speaking of which, back to Luxembourg.
0: Are yeah. you sort of involved in, in interesting projects that pertains to working with governments, with Businesses where you actually implement your research to make
2: the world a better place. In other words, what what's, what kind of stuff are you working on now? Yeah, I actually uh, I actually do. Uh, but it, it's uh, just to give you a little bit of uh, background information. In the beginning, I was not I, I was actually not that involved in the sustainability related policies or initiatives in Luxembourg. It was rather via a detour that I got there because when I was in Oxford, at some point I was I was uh, looking at what are some of the the, the green finance initiatives, and green finance, I mean, how can we invest in projects that support sustainability or sustainable development? And, and also, especially, for example, renewable energy projects. And I was looking what, what countries are primarily active in that space. And to my large surprise, I actually found that Luxembourg is very active in that space. Organically it, or? It's it's rather also, Luxembourg is a small country. And since the financial sector is also transforming. Mm. For example, there's now more, after the financial crisis, now there's more scrutiny about, for example, capital flows, about transparency, disclosure. And Luxembourg realized that parts of its past business model cannot function anymore mm-hmm. because uh, it was a lot on, uh, on, as LuxLeaks, for example, showed, things like that it opened the door that like, yeah, transparency and disclosure is the future for the financial sector and we need more accountability. So I think Luxembourg at that time realized what, what are some of the, the sectors, what are some of the key sectors of the future and what can we bring to the table? And they, they identified green finance as one of those sectors. And they, 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 I think after the Paris Climate Agreement was the right time to, to, to sort of make that move even more aggressively and position it themselves as a key player in that area. For example, in 2016, the Luxembourg Stock Exchange created the first green, dedicated green exchange for, for, for green uh, securities and green uh, uh, financial products in the world, which which was an extreme novelty at that time. And I think also extremely innovative because although largely the, the, the green finance sector is still comparatively quite small versus the financial sector as a whole, but it was a very good strategic move it created a lot of positive publicity to show we as a government but also we as the businesses in Luxembourg we we see it as an opportunity and we we take it more seriously because when i was looking at that i found that although there are a lot of business and political initiatives from a research point of view there was very little data available and i was very surprised by that because it didn't really align with the the scale of the initiatives at the political and the business level. So I reached out to, to uh, actors in the academic sector in Luxembourg, and I found there's not that much happening as of now. So I tried, why, why don't we get something started? Why don't we try to initiate some uh, something? And there was actually a very positive response and then now with uh, also Luxembourg having in November 2018 uh, published Luxembourg Sustainable Finance Roadmap, which sort of lays out the policy priorities to develop the sustainable finance sector in Luxembourg, education and research were some of the key points. And with, the, with, with my expertise that I gained in Oxford and uh, being from Luxembourg and understanding some about the financial sector there, I'm now actually helping to, to, to structure and to coordinate those, those activities a bit more to, to scale research in Luxembourg in the area of sustainable finance. So if you if you talked uh, about those projects, during
1: what time frame did all this happen? Because obviously for some of the listeners, they wouldn't know, is that now something that happened in the last six months? Is that in the last three years or five years? So when, when did that happen? Is that just because now since 2016, as yeah. you mentioned, the changes came? Or is that... Literally, in the last uh, 12, twelve, twenty four months,
2: uh, do you mean for me personally or do you mean uh, no, overall uh, for, for the for the country, for the country? Yeah. so uh, I think it is a, it it's a more recent development. as again, i I, I mentioned uh, the Paris climate agreement, which I think was a very large catalyst in terms of fostering that change and in terms of jump starting or like, yeah, supercharging that that uh, develop those developments. And there's always the term of, that is thrown around is greenwashing. So trying to appear sustainable, green, environmentally friendly without necessarily being it, just using it for marketing purposes. And I think to some extent that that might've been the case in the beginning. So if you, after the financial crisis, there was much more scrutiny, more, more rules were implemented to regulate the financial sector, more disclosure, more transparency. And it might've been a reaction in the beginning to those developments because, of course, uh, if, if your existing, actually very successful business model is threatened, then you need to look for alternatives and you need to look for new opportunities. But then it became a much more natural transition after the Paris uh, climate agreement because we, uh, to, to all their credit, uh, I think the, the, the Luxembourg Ministry of Environment is, is sincere in its efforts. To, to promote sustainability but again they do not act on their own there's a, there's a whole government behind it and there's there's political and economic uh, priorities that sometimes stand in the way of, of more aggressive sustainability action or environmental action however i think that was a catalyst but i think it also it was a catalyst since the i think 2013 we have what we call in luxembourg the gambia coalition I think everybody knows that in Luxembourg. Yeah. It, I think everyone knows that in Luxembourg, but for some of the listeners, we do do not. So for, for the longest time, Luxembourg was uh, governed by. Uh, there was always a party. The, the majority party was a con- the, the conservative party. They, they they governed with differing, varying partners, but usually they were at the helm. But one differ- party yeah. government, yeah. like exactly. in the UK, most of the time. Exactly. So,
0: yeah. to, to remind the listeners, I mean Jean Claude Juncker was the leader. Yeah, of exactly. the,
2: That party and. After that, the government coalition for, came For in. a long time, yeah. And, but in 2013, the voters of, of Luxembourg, although they, they, they voted, the Conservative Party was still the majority party, but due to uh, a coalition between the Liberal Party, the, the Socialist Party, and the Greens, they actually there was a change in the government. And I think that brought about a lot of change and also different mentalities. For example, we have the, the, the first uh, homo- openly homosexual prime minister, I think in the world, as far as I know. And the deputy yeah. prime minister. So those those were things, and also from, because with the participation of the Greens, that also brought a much more foc- uh, much stronger focus on environmental issues. And I think that also acted sort of as, a, as, a, as an additional catalyst, as an additional uh, motivation to, to, to bring environmental issues more to the focus. And I think that played into sort of the priorities of the government as well. So to, to bring business more on, on board, to become more sustainable. So it was sort of like, yeah, what I would call a perfect storm mm. that, that led to uh, more sustainable finance initiatives in Luxembourg. But now talking about your background,
0: you, you've you spent a lot of time in academia. What, what do you think that the University of Luxembourg what is what is its role in in championing this uh, this this topic? Have you ever, ever ever been involved in in any projects? Have they ever, ever approached you? Is is anything you can talk about?
2: So the, the University of Luxembourg, you need to know like yeah, it's a very recent has been has been established uh, quite recently. I think in two thousand three two thousand three they they actually became a chartered university in Luxembourg, and there were certainly a lot of initiatives already. Sometimes in the in the areas of environmental Environmentalism, sustainability, but not a specific focus on on combining business activities, sustainable the finance sector with sustainability issues. No, that that was not present. But there were a lot of initiatives that sort of touched upon the, those topics or that topic of sustainable finance, or what is also often called is ESG investment. So environmental, social, and governance. Uh, related or compliant uh, investments. There was, there was, for example, microfinance was already a topic that was explored. Impact investing. So there were, there were s- uh, certain elements already present. Or sustainability. There were, there were, there was already a su- certificate in sustainability, where I once taught one module as a guest lecturer. So there were already some elements present. However, up until now, there's no dedicated research program in sustainable finance or something that is dedicated primarily to the topic of sustainable finance. And that is also how I even came in touch with the actors in, uh, in Luxembourg because I didn't find a lot of research going on on Luxembourg. So that's when I reached out to a professor in at the University of Luxembourg and I proposed, why don't we start something? And I actually got the, also the, the Luxembourg Stock Exchange on board to co-finance some of those things. So they, they were very eager to participate also very welcoming of, uh, and to, to inject their own money into, into that venture. And, uh, but unfortunately at that time, and that is, that is something that, uh, that is sort of a criticism to some extent, which I also highlighted with them, is that sustainability and, and the, the need for, for example, applied science. So for example, not only theoretical science, but also integrating theoretical concepts into the real world was not a priority of the Luxembourg uh, Research uh, Council, the, the Fond National de la Recherche, so the Luxembourg Research F- uh, uh, Fund, if you will, so who who actually uh, uh, fund uh, academic research in Luxembourg, and they have certain priorities, but sustainability being one of them, but they never made the link between business and sustainability, and so there was never a project that was actively funded. And unfortunately, at that time, our project was also seen, even in the comments that we got, there was, there was not seen an urgency in the research that we would be doing, which was quite disappointing and which was, was quite surprising because one of the feedback that we got was, for example, the European Union right now has an action plan on sustainable finance. It's basically, they want to create a common framework for Europe in order to expand, but also to create uh, rules, a common rule book for how to conduct sustainable finance activities. So to avoid also, for example, greenwashing. And one was it to create a taxonomy. What is a taxonomy? It's basically just a definition of, yeah, so what what is green and what is not. And at that time in Luxembourg, it was not seen as a priority. They said, oh, there's already investment going on. So that is, that is how I came around. And so, uh, but now, And that is why I'm also very happy to be here. So I can say, like, yeah, there are things happening and they will soon, like, yeah, become much more concrete. And so there is actually something to look forward to in the space of academic research around surrounding sustainable finance in Luxembourg and more specifically at the University of Luxembourg.
0: So just before we uh, wrap up in in this session, do you have any specific
2: example with a business just in a couple of minutes in Luxembourg? I can. It's 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 based in Luxembourg, but it's not a Luxembourg business as such. It's the European Investment Bank. So the European Investment Bank, for those who do not know, is the bank of the EU, so to speak, and they invest primarily in infrastructure projects in the EU, but also in developing countries. And uh, so I currently collaborate actively with the European Investment Bank in order to, how to refine what we call ESG impact metrics. So basically to measure the positive impact of projects that are being like, yeah, uh, supported by sustainable finance products. For example, one of, one of the examples is green bonds. So bonds that are emitted, but have to, uh, have to align with certain sustainability principles. So for example, in terms of carbon emissions, in terms of biodiversity impacts. So that is something that I do actively right now with the European Investment Bank uh, who co-funded that research. So that is something where I actually work with an industry actor actively on advancing and on refining the, the current uh, frameworks that are being applied.
0: And if listeners want to get more information on that, how would you
2: advise them to to, to get that and to find more about it? I think uh, one very good resource and uh, a Luxembourg-based resource is uh, Luxembourg for Finance. It is sort of like yeah the promotional arm of uh, the Luxembourg finance sector. And uh, it is uh, also co-funded by the Ministry of Finance. However, it is, it is independently run. And uh, they actually have a very nice selection of uh, uh, resources, of documents, of reports about the sustainable finance sphere in Luxembourg right now. And uh, another one would be looking at uh, what is the Luxembourg Stock Exchange doing? They are very active. They are one of the main proponents in that space. But to give the listeners a sort of a a final uh, resource guide is the Luxembourg for Finance. And uh, there you can actually find what is happening in Luxembourg. You also have access to uh, the Luxembourg Sustainable Finance Roadmap, which was co-published with the United Nations environmental program. So those are really good resources for those who want to know more, who want to delve in deeper, who want to explore a bit more what it actually, what does sustainable finance mean in in, uh, detail. Well, if you um, obviously, as you mentioned before, that
1: uh, you've been in 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 the United States and in, in Japan, and now obviously working quite a lot um, uh, in 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 Luxembourg, um, do you have any any mentors that you are uh, looking at or, or or trying to get information from in in other countries that are doing something similar or
2: more advanced? To be quite honest, and that is that is not to to unnecessarily promote Luxembourg. but I think Luxembourg is one of the world leaders. And that is, that is to my surprise. So they could do more in the academic sector, which is now happening and where I'm actually actively uh, supporting those developments. So that will also be, that gap will be filled quite soon. And then Luxembourg is actually one of the most complete locations for sustainable finance in the world. They have some of the most advanced frameworks. And on the other hand, the EU, It's by far the most progressive in terms of creating common frameworks and trying to promote sustainable finance in the world. Most green bonds, for example, originate in the EU, although Asia is catching up quite rapidly. So Europe and and Luxembourg at the center of it are quite the, the lighthouse, the best practices, if you will. And it's rather other countries should look towards Luxembourg and towards the EU in order to to and that is actually what they're doing so for example as i've been in japan i also know what is happening in japan and i've been speaking there on, on quite a few occasions already and they are looking towards europe they are looking they're collaborating with luxembourg actually on some of these issues because they they acknowledge that europe and also luxembourg in uh, more specifically are currently ahead of the curve they represent the best practice so luxembourg can actually uh, hold its head up high currently but it cannot stand still, and I really want to emphasize that uh, before I I I, uh, I finish, because as as a conclusion, Luxembourg cannot stand still, and it's really important to know like yeah, the academic sector, and the collaboration between the different parts of the society, are extremely important. So you need to have informed stakeholders. So financial people need to know more about the environmental implications of their decision-making. But on the other hand, also scientists who are in the area of climate science or environmental science also need to understand how to apply their concepts and how to apply their findings in a more applied setting so that it can be useful to uh, the financial sector, for example. And that is I hopefully what will come out uh, of this development, for example, with the University of Luxembourg quite soon. So I'm hopeful that it will happen. But I'm also saying Luxembourg is already pretty much one of the world leaders in that area. Do you think that Luxembourg has been
0: finding inspiration on its own? Or or has the country been influenced by other sort of championing countries with, you know, much bigger resources? And they are much bigger, obviously, because Luxembourg is a bit of a, we know, the size of it. Are we just already the champions in what we do? Or can
2: we do more? I wouldn't say Luxembourg was, was a champion and not influenced by others. But what... I do have uh, give luxembourg credit for is that they basically supercharged the discussion and they went into the next gear whereas a lot of other financial places a lot of financial centers did not as quickly as luxembourg did you can now say what are the different reasons for doing so we we mentioned the financial crisis we mentioned disclosure we mentioned uh the paris climate agreement but there were different routes that luxembourg could have chosen but they chose a very proactive one, in my opinion. And I say that as objective as possible. Of course, uh, full disclosure, I, I also do am involved in certain activities with the different ministries, but they, if you look at the current sustainable finance uh, domain and what financial centers are doing, you always come back to that Luxembourg is pretty much, for example, 50% of the world's green bonds are listed in Luxembourg at the Luxembourg Stock Exchange which is an extremely impressive number because they created some of those institutions very early on and I have to give credit for where credit is due for example the finance ministry was very receptive to those ideas when the gambia coalition liberal uh, socialist and green coalition came into power he was very proactive and it was because it is one thing to 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 uh to support something but it's another thing also to put your money where your mouth is and to invest money in those initiatives to support those structures financially to also even acknowledge that it is a problem in the first place that needs some form of remedy where for example the financial sector was has not been a large uh, has not been known primarily to support a lot of sustainable development but to acknowledge that and then to try to Find different ways and avenues to address that you have to give credit where credit is due there's still a lot of things that can happen in Luxembourg and there's still a lot of room for improvement but they were and I do not know necessarily who was at the at the at the origin of those developments but they found a very fertile ground those people who had those ideas they found a very fertile ground where the Luxembourg government and also the Luxembourg some of the Luxembourg business community was very receptive to those ideas, and that is that is where I see Luxembourg is a leader in that in that regard. Also, a thought leader, they basically promoted that. So, if you look back then um, at the
1: last couple of years, um, especially in your uh, working career, yeah, um, what
2: are then your seminal uh, moments? I think there's 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 some things that. Uh, that of course marked my own personal life, but things that I think would say have more larger implications is the more granular, the groundwork, also as a researcher, because that is often not, uh, the, the focus often shifts away to the more grand scheme achievements that we do, like a large initiatives, a new large partnership. Those things by any means are not, doesn't mean that they're not important, but we often forget that it's, the fieldwork at the ground that is, that is often uh, underappreciated under because without all that valuable data that we collect and where we can actually see the impacts on the ground that climate change or global warming or other environmental issues have, we can never even feed all those data models, all those uh, financial models that are supposed to implement sustainability and also wor- which are supposed to assess the risk from climate change to different asset classes, different uh, the, to, to this uh, banking sector, for example. But I would say that my doctoral research as a whole was one of the seminal moments because I found actually very revealing uh, insights that, of course, for example, large-scale renewable energy has an environmental impact. So, for example, wind farms, they, they are known sometimes to kill birds. But overall, the positive impacts of, Uh, promoting renewable energy far outweigh the negative consequences of some technologies and it is definitely and then the second one i would say is now what i'm doing here in luxembourg which will which is or has already been seminal work but the impacts and the ramifications will be uh, far ongoing after i for example complete it because it creates the foundations for new whole thinking and if it is done right That it actually can uh, enable a paradigm shift. And make a change as well.
0: And make a change. Kim, thank you so much for being with us here at Lux Unplugged. We look forward to having you back in the near future, because I'm sure there will be loads of stuff to talk about, because this is, as we all know, it's a very, very hot topic. So we're definitely really looking forward to it, having you back. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Lux Unplugged podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Kim. Please share this podcast with friends and family and leave us a review on iTunes. Also, please don't forget to visit our website, luxunplug.com. And see you next time. See ya!